You've got a lot of books here, huh? I guess. Not what I could. <laughs> Already. <laughs> I'm not taking. I'm not taking it again. I'm gonna keep going. Not what I'd expect from a movie podcaster. We've got Mr. Bump, The Village with Three Corners, Biff, Chip, and Kipper, Phantom Tollbooth. Interesting stuff. What? Where are you expecting? Something more pretentious. I mean, you're the kind of person that would write an extended bit to open a podcast. You know, like out of nowhere, pastiching a random scene from the movie you would talk about later in the episode. Well, only because it's objectively the worst scene in the movie. Well, you can't just... We'll get to that later. Oh, what's this one? Oh, nothing. What language even is this? Esperanto. You speak Esperanto? I'm learning. Okay. Read this. It's kind of a synopsis, uh, breaking down your average movie podcast, two cis white dudes, a lot of opinions. No. Read it. Okay. I am thinking of spoiling things. Critiquer of movies. <laughs> this is, you wrote this in the script, but this really is so dumb. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations to us on our first cold open that Stephen wrote. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm already I'm already a better scriptwriter than Chris Nolan. <laughs> wow, that's a bold claim. Uh, is it okay? Um, oh boy! All right, you want to actually introduce the episode now, Stephen? Yes, welcome to the Barbenheimer special of I'm Thinking of Spoiling Things, starring myself. Um, I played the role of uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer. I'm Stephen. And you? <laughs> I'm your, I'm your co-host, Vaughn, and I played Gene Tatlock, I guess. <laughs> you did. You very much <laughs> I'm did. just like Florence Pugh. <laughs> <laughs> so well, so well. You're also censored in some countries. I'm censored in all countries. I am fully closed right now. Mm, digitally, digitally clothed, digitally clothed with life bars over his nips. Uh, <laughs> a joke for nobody. <laughs> it's a joke for Vaughn. Oh, well, you're right there. <laughs> there you go. Why can't you know? Why can't you have a nice time on the podcast? Um, so um, we're going to talk about the movies Barbie and Oppenheimer today, as they both came out um, in a weekend. I think we both watched them in that weekend. I didn't. I think neither of us did the in one day thing. No, um, no, we didn't. Because life finds a way, you know? Um, yeah, it was just kind of, like, different. I probably would have... Well, actually, I don't think I would have, because I opted to see uh, Oppenheimer in uh, Seattle's true IMAX theater, yeah. and obviously I couldn't see Barbie right after that. Uh, so saw Barbie no. Thursday, and then oppenheimer that same sunday which oddly felt like a very late time to be seeing it even though it was still opening weekend i felt like i was the yeah, last person like, to see I, it <laughs> i mean calvin's never gonna see it but apart from that yeah um so we'll see how we'll see how that joke ages by the time this this releases if he's seen it by then i'm gonna guess he hasn't um so what do we start with i think we should start with barbie hey barbie okay um, let's start with Barbie. What is your familiarity with the filmography of one Greta Gerwig? Uh, Greta Gerwig. I think I've seen everything except one, which would be her debut, which I know you yeah, have seen. Yeah, the, the co-directed. The co um, is it Joe Swanberg? Is that who it is? Oh, is that? I do not like. I'm not a fan of Joe Swanberg. 
Um, what you, you'll see is his penis. Oh, thanks. <laughs> okay. so, I mean, that's not really like a, not really exactly a reason for me to watch it. Okay. Um, okay. Wow. <laughs> You're really not a fan of I mean, I don't have anything against him personally. I'm not a fan of the uh, the whole like mumblecore cinema movement. Is not. Oh, I like I, I I like mumblecore. I like it. Spinoff mumble gore as well. Um, I like a Josephine Dacker movie. Um, yeah. Um, so Nights and Weekends is a cool little movie. Um, I think it's. It's very much a you've kind of seen it before you've seen it kind of it's you know two two it's it's mumbly two characters mm, okay. in a relationship have candid conversations. The one thing I'll say about it is it has a very frank and very raw depiction of like sex um, throughout, which is okay. is quite refreshing yeah. and and realist portrayed and lots of like interesting conversations around that dynamics. And I feel that part of it's actually really really good, really interesting. Apart from that, um, it's it's. It's one of those, I and mean, it's a, it's a decent one of those, but an unmarked one of those. Um, it does that classic thing of it gives one of the characters a job for the sake of it, and his job is that he's like he makes video games or something, and it it is classic that thing of being like uh, no one really involved here knows what that means, and let's just pretend <laughs> gotcha. that it just makes okay. sense. <laughs> it's it's got it's got it's got that energy. You know, tightening up the L, graphics on level six energy. Yeah, you know, okay. you know, like every scene in the Paul Verhoeven movie L when she's making the video game, you're like, mm, no. I don't know what you're talking about, so I'll just go with. Have yes. you not seen Paul Verhoeven's L? No. Oh, it's a, not. It's a movie. I need to see more. I've only seen like the kind of the big Verhoeven movies, so I need to go through some of the. Okay. The oh, not, not, not the multiple, not the multiple award-winning L. Interesting. <laughs> big fan of the sci-fi stuff, but need to get to the others. Well, if you view video games as being science fiction, L is a science fiction. Movie. <laughs> I guess it depends on who you're watching. You could be watching Existence. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, I wish I was watching his sense. So yeah, um, so that's that's Greta Gerwig's kind of like spin-off co-directorial thing. But really, you know, it's, it's Lady Bird and, and yeah. it's um, Little Women, which I think are just both absolutely spectacular. I absolutely love both those films. Yeah, so I mean, I would agree with you now. When I first watched Little Women a few years ago, I was not really a fan of it. It did not... Too small? What was that? <laughs> Too small? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't know. Or maybe um... too big. You're like, I was promised Little Women. <laughs> Oh, did I say Little Women? I meant Lady Bird. I, I, oh, okay. is, we're recording. I literally just got home from work and then sat down to record this, so I'm like, my brain mm-hmm. is not not quite in podcast mode, and that's also like 12.30 at night for Steven, so it's mm-hmm. going to be a, it's a weird energy. But anyway, Lady Bird, yes. When I first saw Lady yes. Bird, I was like, just wasn't really for me. And I You're like, this is a not... very strange Little Women adaptation. This isn't <laughs> that's exactly, exactly. I was like, this isn't what I was expecting. There's only one. <laughs> where, where, where are the Marxist tests? <laughs> I mean, I guess her mom's a woman, but she's not little. <laughs> I was like, this movie would really be improved by the presence of Bob Odenkirk. Um, yeah, yeah. And if he said the title <laughs> of the film, My Ladybird. So yeah, it didn't really, didn't really gel with me the first time, but then I rewatched it just this past week after seeing oh, really? Barbie to because I was like, I, it's been so long, and I was like, I think I'd appreciate it more now, and I appreciated it so much more. I think it is a a very wonderful movie. Really, really like Ladybird yeah, now. It's- one of my favorites of the last few years. I really, really loved it. But did love Little Women a lot the first time I saw that mm. in theaters. That was one of my favorite yeah. favorite movies of that year. Really like Little Women a lot. Yeah. Um, stunning yeah. adaptation. Yeah, really, really clever. Both great, great movies. Um, yeah, and then we have um, Barbie. What's your familiarity of the Barbie brand? <laughs> Little to none, I would say. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> what about you? Do you yeah. have any Barbie familiarity? No, not not really. No, no. I mean, I presume Barbie is as prevalent in 
the UK as it is in the US, I presume there's like a, a shared kind of like cultural understanding. The, it, I think so. Big, I mean, it is big, it is very big, big here for sure, but yeah, yeah, I don't like have a sister or anything, so. Yeah. Well, so um, what did you think of Greta Gerwig's party? I really, really liked Greta Gerwig's party. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I, I, I think it's I, yeah. really, really awesome. Just phenomenal. Um, had such a great time with it. Just yeah, so much fun the entire time. I think that that is my underlining thought for this one. Of for me, it goes back to it's it's just really well made and really fun and really enjoyable. Yeah. And and that is what it is trying to be. And before we get into the the little bits and parts of it, I will point out that the amount of criticism Ooh. and just like rigor that's levied at this film compared mm. to films from other filmmakers it's oh, ridiculous yeah. it's absolutely ridiculous i mean i do i i, I support critical engagement with film in general you know i do but the 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 levels of disappointment for this film not being like this grand political treatise yeah. which it, it is not even it's it, it's what like other filmmakers i mean some obviously some do but m- most of the filmmakers don't have this level of just like forced responsibility um it reminded me of when oh was it like that people was like that that if wonder woman failed then therefore they shouldn't make other superhero movies with like women in it and like captain marvel the same of like oh yeah female right fronted female-led projects seem to therefore have to represent the hopes and dreams of women in the film industry right there's so much (laughs) more there's so much more pressure on them for no real reason but it seems like every time there's these big movies that are that are driven by women it's like well if this if this isn't successful like it's all on you right now for no real reason other than <laughs> like we i guess it's just the industry doesn't want to give them space so there's a, there's an excuse to not yeah and and i generally feel like i've seen more critical in-depth engagement on a negative level in terms of like unpicking what does this mean and why is this not so good with Barbie than I have Oppenheimer. I feel like there's there is so much more digging into the thematics of what is ostensibly a light comedy film than there is with the serious character drama. Yeah, um, and I think it's mainly driven by I mean, and that's not to say that it's not also sexism, because I think it's both of those things, but I think mm. there's like also a big degree of it of like the the corporateness of Barbie versus yeah. like I think a lot of people are immediately attacking that aspect of it. Yes. <clears throat> Which I think is fair to a degree. Like, I don't want to say that there's no room to criticize Barbie, because obviously there there is. Oh, we're, we're, um, we're going to do that for, for like 10 minutes. And stuff, so, yeah. <laughs> um, but it does feel like a lot of the criticism is like, I don't know, it, it, it feels like it almost is missing the exact point that the film is making, where the film mm. goes out of its way to be like, women are constantly put in just impossible yeah. positions and then people are like well why doesn't this movie do everything that i that is like it couldn't possibly ever do and it's like well yeah. what are you what are you expecting what do you want from this yeah so i it, it goes back to for me the and i think it's why i'm not utterly in love with bobby um though i do think it's really, really great is because i think at the end of the day it's main appeal is that it is just good fun very fine statement um mm-hmm. and that is not my favorite thing that films can do um, okay, and I'm not asking. I'm not asking for a different film. Um, I like the film that it is, um, but there are parts of it that, that don't work as well for me. I think it it very much invokes comparison to the Lego Movie, very very directly. Um, mm. The most direct way being casting Will Ferrell in basically the same role. Um, yes, very much so. And I'd say that that is 
on a grander scale, the weakest part of Barbie, um, because yes. it's just calling attention to a thing the Nub film did better, looks weaker here. And the Lego movie, which I absolutely adore, does such mm. a good balance of the storyline being clear that you're watching a world that's the result of people playing in the real world. And I feel like yes. Barbie partly takes that on but then doesn't really go with it. No, it doesn't. But every now and then alludes to it as if that is the case, but then doesn't sell that as a wider narrative point. So when you get to the end and things being a bit rushed and things kind of like happening, and so I was having a conversation with Emma about this yesterday, about, so there are there are things that I'd like the Barbie film to be a bit more. Um, one is I'd like it to be a bit um, less, less binary. I'd like it to be a bit queerer. I would like it to be a bit more showcasing of wider bodies in a way that didn't feel just like tokenism um mm. which which i think i would like more of that in that film and i think in terms of like the queerness of the Bobby film i think if the film worked better at pushing its we're playing with toy stuff that would work better because yeah the barbies as played with are are asexual objects and right. there's nothing sexualized about them but because it doesn't quite sell this is a a played with world this is the real world you start to hold up things to the played with world the barbie world that you otherwise wouldn't so i feel it, it calls upon because it steps out of that lane and makes direct statements um there are points where i wish it would do more i don't know if that quite makes sense but I, I, yeah i think it does i think there's like an incongruity between it being it it does it kind of tries to do the people are sort of playing with barbie's thing Mm. But it doesn't fully lean into it, and so you're kind of left a little wanting more there. But then it's also, I think, leaning more so into what defines them from that corporate sense of, like, how did Mattel yeah. design them? But it's like, I don't really care what is on the box of the Barbie, you know, that you're... Mm. that they're. It's all They're all defined by, like, how they were marketed. And I'm like, I'm less interested in that, and I would be much more interested in leaning more into that sense of how are people defining these these characters rather than how is yeah. mattel the corporation defining them but that's i mean for me that's a pretty minor gripe with it yeah and i do want to get the mattel stuff out there because I, I do think it is it is the weakest part of the film Definitely. but what i will say is for a film that opens with a mattel production i i, I think it's the best you can do um within these yes. constraints and and it it's the film doesn't exist otherwise. Generally, yeah. so so no. sorry. So pe- people say against it. Um, the film needs an audience to to act like it, people aren't watching it. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. And this this is the way the film has to exist. I listened to a really good interview with Greta Gerwig where she talked about um, it was on the 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 Kermit and Mayo's Take podcast. She's talking to Simon Mayo, and she said that her and Baumbach wrote it in lockdown, and their pitch was, "What well, other films aren't being made?" So you tell us this film's not going to get made. Well, no movies are being made. So why not not make this movie instead? Um, which I mean, is a good yeah, Um And and then she kept pushing the point of to the studio. I don't want to make a Barbie film. I want to make this Barbie film. So if you're not interested, I'll just step away. <laughs> so that was wow. the, right, like, yeah. the hard the, the hardball that she was playing. Right. Really speaks about playing. And you can feel that there are some concessions. I think for me, the main concession is a really incongruous bit where the coded as comedically capitalistic all-male boardroom um, realise they're getting as much money as they would from Barbie, from Ken taking over. And then the film, because it 
and this is why it's because it, the film's comedy first. The right. film gives the joke line, and it's a funny joke of you get Will Ferry, Will Ferrell making that point of being like, "Oh, why, I, I care about the feelings of girls. That's all that's important." And that's the good SNL gag thing to have. But it's just like, wait, what? You do? Yeah, it, what? It, I feel like there's definitely an inconsistency with the way it portrays that stuff, and like it mm. does get to a point where like you play so much of it for the comedy aspect and for the gags that then you're like, well, yes. okay, well, hold on. Like <laughs> this doesn't really make any sense. Like in the, the, the world that they have created with it, with you've got, they have these, these corporate characters, but it doesn't feel yeah. like, cause then you're kind of like on their side at the end. And it's like, well, I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And they, they do a good enough switcheroo at the end with like the, the showing their corporate silliness at the end, but right. it's just, it's just yeah, I don't want to talk about it too much, but I just I just think that layer of the film just doesn't work. I love the the Jacques Tati playtime bit of it. Yeah, I love that their office looks like that room from Jodorowsky's um, The Holy Mountain, which is just like was, <laughs> it's, was, it's, was such a beautiful surprise. Right, it's um, funny because it's like you have this stuff that I mean, it's such a huge film. It's like ninety percent of the people seeing that are like gonna have no idea, and it's like. Hmm. For I think most people that are, you know, if they don't like the Mattel stuff, they're probably just like, well, I just don't like this. But at least there's like those little gags for the the 10% of the 10% that are like, oh, yeah, look at that. Playtime. And there's that like Eternal Sunshine meets The Matrix Reloaded bit when like (laughs) being John Malkovich was like the halfway between those movies of just going into. I I do like that scene a lot um, of of, of talking to the creator of Barbie and bringing her back at the end. That's a really nice moment. And the payoff there is really, really good. Um, Everyone's brilliant. Um, yes, Simulu, absolutely brilliant. Um, America Ferrera, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, but... really, like, definitely the surprise performance there because I mean, Margot Robbie is obviously great, and Ryan mm-hmm. Gosling is obviously great. But yeah, I mean, I did I not seen much of the marketing for this leading up to it, so I don't think I even really knew about the like human side of it so like when yeah. there was that america ferrera character and i was like oh she's just phenomenal this is fantastic yeah she's so good um margot robbie is this has become my year of understanding margot robbie i feel like babylon was determining because I've, I've never really because mm. I, I think she's just she's used a certain way by film um that clearly has been belying her talents as an actor um and in Babylon and this, I'm like, oh, this is just a really versatile, really yeah. energetic, really interesting performer. And she is so the heart of this film. And I do think that the best part of the film for me is, is Ryan Gosling's Ken. But that's because the script allows it to be. Um, yeah, it's written that so, way. Yeah. Whereas Margot Robbie is, it's not a thankless role, because clearly there's lots of fun in it. Right. But she, she is doing so much like invisible work at the centre of this of the it's the great performance that holds the film together and it's everything the film needs it to be right and it is it's, showy but it's not showy in the ways all the time and it's it, it, it doesn't shout it's it's really really good yeah it's more it's it's yeah it's hard to like phrase it because it's not really like subdued and it is like no. the central performance of it but it's like i think the the ken performance does have much more room to like it has a much i don't know it's like a it's written it's a as very, the fun character. So yeah, that's it's a very a fun different role. arc that I think you're not really expecting. Um, and I think that's what, like, allowed... And plus, like, he is played to be much more the, like... In the comedy movie, he's even, like, the comic relief almost. So yes. Yes. You definitely... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He shines more because, like you said, the the film is designed that way. Yeah. And, yeah, just all the Ken stuff is so funny. And the 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 montage real-world Ken understanding 
makes up for the the foibles in the real world. Um, you could you could ditch the corporate stuff and you yeah. have the the lean the, the leaner cooler movie that is just Ken going back <laughs> and asserting his understanding. Um, which there's there's two great ways of reading that. One is it's such a great um, weaponization of this idea that people who complain about these things don't actually understand what they're talking about. Yeah. So when it goes to the end of him, like I don't actually know what patriarchy means. It's like yeah, you and most people. Right. Um, you just you just you just love this idea, which makes the whole. Um, person on the internet who will go unmentioned stuff even funnier um but also i do like the part of it of it makes it clear that he though he is enabled to be a misogynist by patriarchal systems he is not innately a misogynist um right it's, and it's he's, he's 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 fine like right which is why like i mean obviously it's not worth like paying any attention to that kind of that side of the criticism anyway but it makes it that much more hilarious to me because i'm like this this is not a, a film that's like specifically like if you view this as a film that is just like that hates men it's like you're just viewing yeah. it wrong because it's it's making a very specific point to say that these systems are damaging to everybody and yes. yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's not just like fuck you man it's that's not what it's about <laughs> yeah no totally and and it is also interesting to me that there was this like riled up male predominantly male just like refusal of it before it came out and that so much the film less than being about femininity is about male fragility <laughs> so right very much that's, <laughs> it's like it's it was very, expecting very funny. yeah it's like anticipation yeah, of that because of because of course it was yeah um, i think as a, as a piece of filmmaking i think it's just really stunning um very very tactile um mm. sweeping wonderful cameras that that give the sense yes the toy box feel does not work narratively but it works visually of the sense of being played and moved around you yeah. know the camera can go everywhere but it it, it it has that soundstage feel of like classic musicals yes. and like there's the camera like arcs down like oh, it's just really wonderful stuff and there is a physicality to a lot of stuff as well which we'll go back to with Oppenheimer um yeah i think i think like what ends up making the the corporate side of it and the real world quote unquote side of it feel that much weaker even though it isn't always because, like, no. the, the human stuff, like America Ferrera, is great, but I think, like... Yeah, and there's, like, really, three montages in there that are absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's really just, like, the contrast, because the the Barbie Land world is so, like, refreshingly constructed and designed, and it does have that soundstage feel that's like, oh, this yeah. is, like, what... This is what movies can be, and, like, how fun it is to see something that is very intentionally, mm. like, using the medium to like create this fantasy world and so like when you leave that and it's like this kind of more dreary which i i mean is the point also but it's like then i'm yeah. just like i don't want to be here take me back to the but, to the colorful yeah and i and i don't think it really kind of like commits to juxtaposing perspectives it, it, it doesn't like go out of its way right. to really defamiliarize the, because you've got one hyper setting that it would need to push the other way a bit more um, yeah, and the real world is still cartoonish. Um, yeah, that's true. Which, which it's, it's like because because you spend that much time in Mattel and Mattel are presented as a cartoon. But I, I, I agree with what you're saying. It, it feels very much like you're watching the Youngers of Rochefort. Yeah, and every now and then it cuts away to what the rest of France is doing. And you're like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. I mean that 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 does make Rochefort feel more special. But I want right. to spend more time in the special place. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and then so coming back to the the the, the what the. <laughs> what's the, the house called 
the the Ken's Mojo Dojo Casa that's House. A, that's it, Mojo Dojo Casa House, which is just just absolutely stunning joke. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's damn good. Um, really damn good. Um, there's been some interesting critique that I want to point out. There has been um, a particular a line that's got a lot of um, criticism, especially from... Um, Indigenous perspectives, there is a joke about smallpox in it that is um, very, very, um, Ooh. very, very bad. For some um, reason, I'm not even remembering that off the top of my head. But. It's, it's when they talk about the immunity to not having immunity to patriarchy, and they make a reference to smallpox. Oh, um, the um, yeah, that's yeah, uh, a lot. Of, there are a lot of um, <laughs> indigenous voices um, on the social media as being like, yeah, uh, here's why that's not funny. Um, which, yeah, um, there's absolutely, that, that, yeah. That's funny. Um, though there were some joke, I mean, there are some jokes that I think worked for me better than for you. I admit to not loving, but quite liking the Snyder Cut joke. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I did not. That did nothing for me. It was like that was like. I mean, packed theater. Everyone was excited. Everyone was having a great time. I feel like that joke just like hit absolutely nobody in the theater like everyone's kind of like okay <laughs> and i was like whatever i mean there is a part of me that, that also feels that i wish let's speaking that name gives it power and there are honor of that does not mention it so i feel that's, that, that, that's more my feeling but um that joke was followed up by a joke that only i laughed at in the cinema because i was the butt of the joke oh, of which is when there is someone talking about a specific musician and i was like i know who that musician is and then out of the corner of the in the frame you can see the bottom of the pavement album slanted and enchanted i'm like oh this joke is about me this joke is about me there you go (laughs) yeah you might be the only one that that that, you're right that was a joke for steven only yeah that was a joke for yeah pretentious indie people but like (laughs) alternative music from the 90s like yeah oh that's interesting that you say Indie. I'm just like I. There's been so much like. I mean, to me, very unfair. But just I, I've, the the discourse surrounding like the the Greta Gerwig transition from being oh god, a, yeah, I didn't a mean quote it in unquote sense, independent. Yeah. I mean, I know you didn't mean it in that sense, but I do think that's like an interesting point of discussion because it's weird, like to again, like put that pressure on filmmakers, like they need to stay in a specific lane. And hmm. that you're an indie filmmaker, so you need to keep making indie films to, like, support independent cinema. And it's like, I mean, she wants to make a big-budget movie. <laughs> like, why is that? Yeah, this, this ain't Fantastic. Like, you know, like... <laughs> Everyone loves Judge Josh it, but... Trank. Well, no, but that, that is the example, right, though? Because you've, you've got Chronicle getting... I mean, nowhere near the kind of, like, acclaim that the Gerwig film does. Right. But just interesting, um, independently-spirited film... And then you make the the franchise piece, and it's reviled, and, and right. the, the the story that you see is see again. But yeah, it's let let Greta Gerwig play with the filmic toys that she wants to play with. I mean, also Little Women was a was a big movie. Lady Bird also a, a, like a reasonably yeah, big I mean, film. Like yes, A twenty four is by definition independent, but they are also still a very large studio, and you know they're it's a huge movie and everyone knows about it because it has this big studio release behind it. Um, so even though you can call it independent, it's, it's not really that, but yeah, it's like, I don't understand why there would be any reason to have a problem with if a director wants to 
go into a film and have a big budget and do something different. You know, she wants to make big stuff and do action films. She's interested in James Bond. I'm like, that's what's that's awesome. Yeah, as long as they as long as they are always making interesting things, exactly. Then I will support it. And that's yeah. I think that's what it really comes down to for me is like a lot of people talking about like oh like she's kind of betrayed her indie roots or whatever. But I'm like, but there's no point in Barbie where I don't it doesn't feel like a Greta Gerwig movie, mm. you know, like the undercurrent yeah. and the thematic stuff is all the same as it's always been. So I'm like, I'm, I'm not sure what you're looking for. If anything, I think it's, it's better to leverage that, that position of being in a big studio and having a big budget and getting that same message out there. I, I will say there is a part of me and I, I know I was speaking to you bad about this somewhat. There's a part of me that, that wants to take against that everything is is in the film in terms of how it's written is hidden behind like a veneer of like irony and and, and remove um there there is a a lack of sincerity and earnestness at points and there are points where that does break through and it's really really nice um so there is that kind of like glaze put on things that actually pushes against proper engagement these ideas and that mm. is such a, a defense system that I am as guilty as anyone is putting up more guilty than most, I would say. Um, but then saying that, I do love the verbal aesthetic of this film. I love that it, it, it's got this bomb mots. It it's interesting to me that the most recent Noah Baumbach film was White Noise. When I think of the book White Noise, I think about all those just amazing sardonic turns of phrase. And this film's got better sardonic like. Don DeLillo in, but in a different genre, a turns right. of phrase than goddamn white noise does. It's like <laughs> you, 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 you waste all your zingers on this script. All the zingers were in this script. That's the problem. Not enough zingers left for white noise. All the zingers are in here. <laughs> well, that just means maybe Baumbach and Gerwig should always be working together. Yeah. Which I mean, yeah, I, think, it, I mean, yeah, it worked great here for sure. Yeah, it's I think it make, makes sense. Also, I mean, Baumbach's collaborations with um, with Anderson are the, are the best with Anderson scripts. Um, Which ones are those? I'm blanking it's, it's off like, of my head. Let me let me double check that I'm not. Well, let me let me see because maybe I'm wrong. Um, Doesn't sound look. right to me, but I don't want to say that you're just wrong because you could be very right. You might be thinking about yeah, Madagascar. Yeah, like, like, oh. life, life Aquatic and Massimus okay. Fox, the two best films. Yeah. You sure you weren't thinking about Madagascar anyway? <laughs> I was obviously I was thinking about Madagascar three. Europe's most wanted. Um, what am I not thinking about that? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, the writing credit on Fantasmus okay. Fox that and Life Classic, yeah. which are my my two favorite um, was Anna's movies. So, bam. There's a new, another Wes Anderson later this year. Did you see that? That's crazy. I did see that. I did see that. An anthology. Oh, it's another anthology? Never mind, I'm less excited. I didn't actually or, look at it. Well, that. actually, I, I'm not sure if it's an anthology or if it's a short. It might just mm. be a short. Okay. I hope it's a short. I should have done more research before bringing it up on the podcast, yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's got some people in it, and you're like, oh, they're going to fit great in a Wes Anderson film. They should have been in it all along. And we'll talk about that later. <laughs> later in several months when that comes out, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, do you have any further thoughts on Barbie for the day, Stephen? Music's awesome. Music's absolutely awesome. Music's great. Yeah, I almost—I uh, wish there was more. I would have—I yeah. would have liked for it to lean more heavily into being uh, a musical. I think that would have been very fun. Yeah, that choreograph at the beginning, very, very good. Yeah, not that it's like a complaint, but it's definitely trying to do a lot, and it's like yeah, could be more narrow, but I still really loved it. So I've 
Yeah, no, I like... really enjoyed it. Oh, and I think the ending is really, really awesome in terms of like there's a, it ends on a really good line that is about um, the importance of gynecology and actually having like and what what I do love about that is because this is a film that yeah it's a PG thirteen or a twelve A or whatever but that means that you can take anyone to it and yeah. if you take a young a young person to go to this film probably the first question will be what's a gynecologist and that's, that's true. a very healthy conversation to have with You're a right. young child um, and that's that's and so that's my favorite reason why it, it ends where it does because that is a it ends with a conversation starter for a lot of people. No, that's a that's a very very fair point. I don't love the ending, but I can't argue against your reasoning there at all. Mm. That's all I got for Barbie. Yeah, that's that's the the better film of the week, out of the way. Um, and now <laughs> that's where we disagree. Now that we move on to the Heimer. Really? Oh gosh, <laughs> gosh, Oppenheimer. I mean, you know, Oppenheimer. It's, it's it's not like the worst Nolan films. You know, Tenet and The Dark Knight. <laughs> Okay, I was gonna say I should have pulled up my uh, well, actually, I don't have pulled up a list because um, we haven't really had any opportunity, obviously, to talk about Christopher Nolan on this I'm, podcast. I, am, I have watched, I'm gonna say, more Chris Nolan than you have. That's true, you have because you've seen Quay or whatever, and I have not. Yep, Key, please. Oh, my, a key. Um, yeah. So that's okay. You've seen one more than me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got yeah, me. I, <laughs> I do got you. Is that? I mean, is that like a documentary? Is that what that is? Okay, it is. Yeah, it's, it's about, eight about, minutes. About the key I, thought was, I thought it was a whole movie. <laughs> okay, it's never mind. It's short about the animators. The key brothers. It's, it's good. It's, okay. You know. yeah. But we have both seen all of his feature films. Yeah. I've not seen Tarantella. Maybe we should watch Tarantella and Doodlebug. No, I have seen Doodlebug. I've seen, I've seen Doodlebug. Doodlebug. It's practically yeah, well. cool. Yeah. Um, um, Alright, let's let's break this guy down. Okay. So For I'm, a movie. We're going let's do movie this by movie? Earliest. Yeah, let's do this uh, let's okay, I've got, earliest first. I don't have a ranking because I don't know how to rank it anymore. No. So I just, I've no. got I've got a private list in chronological order until I can like get through more of these, these rewatches. Right, so. so following. What do you think of following, Stephen? Really cool, really cool. Um, yeah. Not great, but really interesting. I like it's it. A, it's got a style. Yeah, it's a cool debut because you can definitely. Mm. It's a very immediate, like, oh, this is Christopher Nolan trying things out and he's going to take these ideas and run with them. Yeah. Which I always like to see in a debut. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't have too much to say about it. It's not extremely no. remarkable. Um, the following movie is more interesting. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, what do you think of uh, Memento? absolutely awesome what a great movie yeah i i really like memento it's been a long time since mm-hmm. i've seen it now but every time i watch it i'm just like oh this is <laughs> this is cool it's like it's very much that that idea of like <clears throat> most of what nolan does is not and i and i mentioned this in my my oppenheimer review but most of what he does is not really that like it's not really groundbreaking or like incredible it's just like mm-hmm. he takes something simple but by doing something just kind of a little bit different with it he can make it really feel like something yeah. completely different um which not to say that's like in a bad thing in any way whatsoever I mean, and memento is extremely in, cool in this example are you so you're saying that he's taking something simple and the, the thing simple do you mean the the mick jackson film clean slate which has the same premise as memento and came up before Go to the stacks to learn more about Mick Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) 
I have no input on Stephen's deep dive of Mick Jackson's filmography. <laughs> okay, well, I'm just, I just thought you'd be interested in the, the film Clean Slate. I mean, that is has, interesting. Is Clean Slate before yeah. Memento? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And by same it's premise, a, you mean just the same narrative? Yeah, can't, can't form new memories mm. um, and has to re- so records and little kind of like little tape to himself little, like a dictaphone thing okay. um, every morning and is caught up but it's like a noir it's like it, it's um Dana Carvey of Wayne's World fame and it's just like a like a fun <laughs> fun it's a, it's a it's a it's a pretty decent comedy whereas like that's just used for the it wants to put you in fish out of water circumstances and a lot of like, improv based comedy styles but like written but right. improvised I don't know what's going on scenarios and it's, it's good it's good it's good one of the better Mick Jackson movies um <laughs> So anyway, back to Memento. Um, Yeah, I I just meant more like the actual narrative of Memento is very simple and straightforward if you restructure it that way. But because he he takes it apart and puts it back together in an interesting way, it it seems Mm. more complicated than it is. But that's not a bad thing because it turns out very cool. Yeah, I think that that is a, a whole... It's a career thing for me of he is more interested in storytelling than the story. Um, mm. in a way that can be additive and can be silly. Yes, I would agree with that. Okay. Insomnia. Insomnia. It's good. I don't love Insomnia. It's been a while. I've only seen it once. It's, it's got a good a atmosphere. Now. It's um, different feeling. It's 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 an adaptation yeah. of a film I've not seen. It's uh, different writers. Um, it's got a tone to it and a feel. I don't really remember the film, but I remember the ways that it made me... It's, it, it's, it's got a... Like an there's a discomfort yeah, yeah there's a there's a really interesting slippery woozy unease i think is a piece of like resonant you feel it more than you take it in movie but mm. to, to get to tenant like, yeah. you know, <laughs> it, it does Don't feel think, like feel or whatever it does feel like the most like the biggest outlier i think of his filmography like it doesn't hmm. i don't know out of everything here it feels the least nolan to me yeah. um but i do it like it i is. like the uh i like that there's not enough I need more films set in uh, nightless Alaska. Yes, agreed. It's a cool setting. Yeah. Then so, what do we have? A movie that you really, really love. Batman yeah, it, Begins. And yes, that's not to say uh, I don't love it, because I do love it. Chris Nolan's best movie, Batman Begins. Now that's an um, interesting take. Yeah, I just I just really love it. Um, it's one of the only iterations of Batman that I really, really love. I think it's mm. a really just like it's such a good superhero origin story for me it's one of the examples of this is the best version of this thing and even if i'm even if i'm not like mr superhero i'm like this is this is just everything that that genre should be done right really nicely structured really cool it's just awesome it's just such a cool film i really really love it no i i really like batman begins as well it's also i mean that's why like i ended up i went to add oppenheimer to my ranking and i was like i have no idea <laughs> like i was like i think all of these are maybe wrong so i have no yeah. idea how like i would i would place yeah, it I've but i do like on, it a lot on director rankings because i'm just like i don't know what this this thing <laughs> to me anymore um, no that's true most of them I'm, I, I can stick with but nolan i think it's just like been so many years of my my tastes yeah. and and I, thoughts yeah. changing that i'm like i just don't know anymore um, right. but yeah batman begins is is fantastic the prestige what do you think of the prestige oh, at this point he's only making really good movies i mean insomnia <laughs> is is interesting okay this is, this is, is interesting but memento batman begins and the prestige are his three best films the prestige is in your your top three. 
Yeah, like okay. Memento Batman Begins Prestige is probably his three best. Huh. Okay. I'd have I'd have others close to that, but there. I mean, I'd have okay. two others close to that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not really much in it after that point, is that? Um, but yeah. So, you, but you, really so you like the yeah the prestige is great. It's again really good movie. I should just stop saying it's been a long time since I've seen these because it goes for most of them. But yeah, no, the prestige is is really fantastic, really cool movie, which is kind of like the same thing. Ahead. Like ultimately, kind of simple, but like the way that he he has that like clockwork structure to all of it like even knowing what's coming it somehow still like surprises me every time you know hmm. i feel that prestige interstellar and memento actually have some some emotional heft to them in a way that hmm. he is said to not have i think interstellar very much goes for it for me it works and i get why it doesn't people I, I, I find interstellar quite an emotive movie but prestige um there's a real there's a pervasive sadness in it and there is yeah. a a someone not wanting to confront sadness memento that for me makes it more emotive yeah. because it is is trying to reject emotion and i think that can be one of the most powerful ways of presenting emotion as Ast- we talk about the asteroid city if that's why that film really hits for me right because yeah, people no, ducking true. away from emotion um so yeah i think those those three films we have a a filmmaker dialed into emotional resonance so then <laughs> i mean i i would be curious if anybody listening to this doesn't know what you think of the dark knight because I think Man, it's a pretty I've, widely known uh, opinion of yours. I remember watching Batman Begins um, okay. before the Dark Knight came out and really, really liking Batman Begins. So I was I was on that train of, like, I like this movie a lot. Um, and everyone was really excited for the Dark Knight. And I, was, I, was, I was so excited. I was so excited for the Dark Knight. And so 2008, isn't it, when it comes out. Yeah. Um, so I was in high school at the time. And I, I found my, I, you know, I, I, I did not watch the Dark Knight in the most legal of ways. Um <laughs> And I watched The Dark Knight and my other most anticipated movie of that year, back to back of each other. And I'm trying to think of even what else was in 2008. <laughs> watching these films back to back, and I watched them with a friend that came over, and I was like, "We're gonna watch these movies. It's gonna be really exciting. I've found copies of those films. We're gonna watch them. We're gonna have a great time." And we were both disappointed by both. Okay. Those films were The Dark Knight and Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> what? <laughs> Stephen's a Kung Fu Panda unenjoyer. <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh my god. Jack and Shambles. I'm sorry, Jack. If I've you're not listening. revisited Kung Fu Panda. I'm a bit like it more now, but I, was I like, watched eh. it not too long ago. Um, I think it's great. Kung Fu Panda's a very wonderful movie. But yeah, The Dark Knight, I was like, eh. So that's, that's I think that's probably the most surprising thing to me that you have never liked. The no, Dark I never Knight. have. Um, I, there was a middle period when I liked it more because then okay. I, I got it on DVD. I was like, everyone loves this, I should watch this. And I, I, I should love this, why don't I love this? And I appreciate it more, but I've always found it to be, even without developing political consciousness, I've always found the structure to be not very good. Mm. Um, okay. The Two-Face stuff and the Joker stuff, like B1 film, but it's but that's just my classic thing. Of right. I, I like a film to be a thing, not two <laughs> random things. Um, and the boat well, scene fair. is so gone. The boat scene's so goddamn ridiculous, and I've always felt the boat scene is absolutely ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Um, I mean, I was, well, I'll just keep going for now, um, but huge, huge fan of, of The Dark Knight from the first mm. time I saw it. One of my favorite films for years um, in my kind of film bro era of being just, I mean, mm. not that I am not a fan of Christopher Nolan now, but like when he was my, my favorite filmmaker, um, really, really loved The was, Dark Knight. Was the inception that. of your film bro era. <laughs> there you go. Nailed it. <laughs> you know i i felt like 
it was maybe worth commenting on, but this silly drink I have is actually called the Inception, but I didn't think about that when I ordered it on the yeah. way home. And then I got here and I was like, oh my god, I'm drinking an, in- an Inception during my Christopher Nolan conversation. But anyway, um, yeah, I've seen The Dark Knight many, many, many times. Um, and just, yeah, one of my favorite films for a very long time. And then I think it was, it was it's only really been been recently where starting to think more specifically and more critically about film and, and rewatched it last year. Uh, I mm-hmm. think it was last year. Um and definitely saw through all of it pretty much and was just like, oh yeah, this yeah. is kind of got some very deeply, uh, I don't know if problematic is the right word for it, but it's just like the the framing of all of it is just like, I'm just like, yeah, this is not the, maybe not it. But at the same time, I'm like looking back on that now, even my, my take from last year, I'm like, I certainly wouldn't disagree with my own thoughts on it. Like my review, I would I would stand by. But I'm like, I might watch that again and just still like it because it's a movie that I like. <laughs> like I don't know. Yeah. So I'm the conflicted. The interesting on it. thing about Chris Nolan, and it was why I was a bit Oppenheimer skeptical going in. Mm. But the reasons that I'm not crazy at Oppenheimer are actually not the reasons why I thought I would be, which is quite nice. Um, and I do like Oppenheimer. Um, oh, I think I know where you're going with but, this. But it's the weird thing about Chris Nolan is he has the politics of most people, genuinely, of like, he like he is more closely aligned with the voting populace than mm. most filmmakers. You just It's just that most mainstream filmmakers are slightly left-leaning in their film, right. and we expect film as an art form, especially critically acclaimed, like, cinema, we yeah, expect sure. that to sure. be left-leaning. And th- which always interesting, like, he's just, Chris Nolan has pretty average politics. Um, they are objectionable to me because they're not mine but they're not like objectively objectionable um it's just very interesting to see center right wing filmmaking yeah i think a lot of it tends towards just kind of like mildly inoffensive centrism where it's just like this isn't really taking a stance and i i can't really like be mad at it but it's not really doing anything in that realm but then like mm. i think the dark knight specifically is where it trends much more towards like having a, a very conservative edge where i'm just like yeah i yeah. don't know about this Nolan. yeah and, and and dark knight rises though i think dark knight rises is such a, a cartoon of a movie that i don't take against it as politically complete mess, um, i do like it it's definitely the second best of the trilogy but yeah um but not to not to turn this into the the Dark Knight cast. Those are our kind of brief no. thoughts. But what do you? I don't know if I ever really talked to you about Inception. What do you think about Inception? I was obsessed with when it came out. Like I saw it like four, oh, very much maybe same. five times yeah. at, the, at the cinema, and it was the film I talked to everyone about. I got, oh, I yeah. had, I had the special edition Blu-ray that came mm-hmm. in the little briefcase and had the spinning top. Um, well, that's awesome. I still have that somewhere. I've not watched it in a long time. Last mm. time I watched it, I loved it. Um, I wonder when the last I'd, time I watched it was. It must have been a couple of years ago. Would have would have been more than a decade for me. Um, but yeah, yeah, I've probably not seen it for maybe about yeah, just over ten years. But okay. yeah, I I think it's really good. I logged it in twenty twenty, um, so it's been a few years now. Um, but yeah, I really, really <clears throat> same thing like with Dark Knight, where I just like I saw that movie and it was just like the the movie to me, and just like absolutely mm. loved it for for years and years. Was one of my my all-time favorites and i don't think i would call it an all-time favorite now but i still really no. love inception and it's a banger it's a we'll banger. definitely revisit it soon because i want to now just revisit all of his films um yeah so i can have a it's more no paprika take, but... but it's a banger 
it's, it's actually interesting. I think I, I when I wrote when I saw Paprika and I wrote my Paprika review, it was mostly focused on how I didn't agree that it was that similar to Inception. Um, but that's like a whole a whole different thing if you want to check out my Paprika review. But I mean, obviously, yes, I, I understand that the the outside beats are the same. I was I was more interested in what each film was getting at because i think they're oh yeah they're things. getting at different things but yeah. i mean on a literal composition basis well yes <laughs> of, of i am cloning this scene <laughs> from this movie which for me is worse i mean i actually quite like the idea of this is my take on something i think mm. there's like more merit in this is like his version of that as opposed to i'm making a different movie and i'm just nicking these scenes yeah and i think i mean i wrote that couple years back now and i think now i would probably have a i would take more issue with it specifically because there was a a history of of many filmmakers just blatantly ripping from from satoshi khan which he did not like and appreciate so i think i got more annoyed because i watched that documentary about satoshi khan that i really really liked and it's got um everyone else that rips him off is in their loads and talks like so lovingly about him chris nolan just so conspicuously absent from any of it. Yeah, <laughs> Aronofsky's there. Aronofsky's talking about it. You know, bless him. Yeah, it's yeah a, Chris Nolan. Oh, no, that's another. It's another podcast, another time. Um, mm. So in the Dark Knight Rises, Satoshi Kon for my thanks. Um, I remember watching Dark Knight Rises at the cinema, and partly for being like, "This is great. It's really, really, really uh, like this is really, really good." And it, it totally falls off in the second half. Jesus Christ! It just, it just really stumbles down, <laughs> but in a way that I find consistently fun. Um, I think it's yeah, okay. an endearingly silly movie. Yes. Um, and Tom Hardy is... It also, it, it made me realise that mainstream films could be broken and need to be patched. Like, it just could <laughs> not understand. <laughs> oh. Just Bane coming out of, like, one speaker in the cinema being like, what is he... Like, what, sorry, what, what? <laughs> but if you'd been able to understand them, it would have, wouldn't have been like this. <laughs> it was, man, it just makes me... It's weird to think back of, like, for you. Bane was just like a the thing for like a whole I'm year. I'm a meme now. <laughs> you sure was. I feel my Bane is very much like my Deckard Kane from Diablo. Deckard Bane. Stay a while and listen, Batman. Yeah, that's what we did. This is, this, I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> I should have expected it, but I was not ready for the for the Stephen Bane voice. Mm. Um, I was born making Bane noises. You really adopted it. <laughs> Um, see i remember all that stuff still so yeah call me a bad movie it's hard to forget really no but i i think yeah, yeah I, I genuinely really like the dark knight rises it is yeah, and i mean good. it is it is a very silly movie but it is because it is like there's no way that you can take it seriously in the same way that you can take the dark knight seriously and so i agree with you like you can't really like it's hard to get mad at it because you're yeah just like, the occupy wall like, street stuff is bad like it's really really bad but yeah. all right here's 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 my most controversial take Okay. I'm going to say Okay. <laughs> that halfway Catwoman performance is as good is as good I'm not saying one of them is bad okay. as the Heath Ledger Joker. Wow. That's not even I'm like gonna, a I'm comparison s- that makes sense to make to me. I'm saying, okay. I'm saying that they are both <laughs> absolutely are both just like brilliant stellar performances highlights of those movies huh. just totally own, own, own that character. Bam. Interesting. I mean not that I would ever say that Anne Hathaway was bad but i never thought of her as like the she's so amazing good, standout she's so performance good. but no she's, she's great. so good she's great um, um and actually i'm not i'm not you know my, 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 it's not my favorite joker that's all i'll say okay what well, who is I like your, my can joke. i ask who your favorite joker is or is this the wrong podcast i mean it's it's, for that? It, I mean, it's, it's, it's the obvious answer 
what's the obvious answer? Is it oh. Arkham Asylum Joker or something? Well, yeah, Mark, Mark Hamill in general. Okay. I, I, well, I, I, like my joke, I like my Joker to kind of like be into jokes. I mean, yes, yeah. This, 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 <laughs> this is my issue with the oh, Batman. Of like, I, like my, I, I, like, I like my Riddler to be more like into like more of a Riddler. So, um, no, I, it's my, uh, yeah. my problem with these live action gritty Batmans <laughs> is. Yeah, it is. Okay. Here's my big okay. Batman complaint. If every time they include one of his villains, they grit okay. them up. If you have to change so much about the supporting characters to make them fit, maybe you're adapting this wrong. Okay. No, I mean, I. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. I think that's. I think that's. That's true. And I, I mean, in general, like, even though. Uh, we are on different ends of the spectrum of the most recent Batman that I do like that film a lot. Like, I agree. I want I want campy, silly Batman. Mm. I want I want fun Batman uh, to return. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, I it, is, it just seems like the the Nolan look of Batman of the the gritty and dark thing is just like that became the default, and it's like not really any reason for it. Nolan's take is that's, interesting that's, and it's that's cool, but it works good, in, in that's the world he made. What's that? That Killian Murphy. That Killian Murphy's going places. That's mm. good. That's true. He is. Um, well then, let's move on from Batman because this is going to turn into a Batman podcast. Yep. Uh, Interstellar. Interstellar. Um, only saw it cinema. Loved that? it. <laughs> what <laughs> Interstellar? <laughs> oh, Chris Nolan. No, make movies from Britain. Totally threw me for a loop. So you saw Interstellar, Interstellar at the cinema. Interstellar. Saw it at cinema. It's very, very good. Why are you doing an accent now? <laughs> it's my real so voice. I, I can't talk about it stuff like this. No, <laughs> I remember. Great. Yeah, so that came out. That was yeah, 2014. So yeah, that was <clears throat> came out like right after I had moved um, out to college and saw that in IMAX on my own. And it was mm. just like, this is great. I loved Interstellar, yeah. and it was again like just a a favorite of mine. That kind of. Again, like I haven't re- revisited that in a very long time, and it's almost like I don't know if I want to because it kind of yeah. Has no, like, I'm, I'm definitely with that. There's like a level of like yeah, personal connection that I have to Interstellar that I'm like I don't know if yeah. I want to ruin that. I just have a have very nice memories associated with it. And it's, uh, Same. That was a, a classic for me of Emma and I walking out the cinema being like I really love that. But there's that, that which is the conversation I was going to have being like oh, I love that. And my my take with Interstellar was always. I don't care if it doesn't make literal sense because it's so focused on emotional sense and I thought that yeah. movie makes emotional sense all the way through. Like the the narrative follows the emotional logic of characters and I I kind of prefer that. So I couldn't agree more. So then So now on to now now on to key. Onto what? You know, his key brothers. Oh, you know, sure. Okay, we'll skip, we'll, we'll skip really okay. key. Just 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 because you're not a completionist like me. Um a completionist. Um <laughs> All right, you have to have a take. That's what you can't just say nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's no, D- Dunkirk. Okay, guess <laughs> we're moving on. Uh, what do you think of Dunkirk? I like Dunkirk. It's very proficient, isn't it? It's a it's a, it's a precision tooled, mm-hmm. beautiful so. watch of a film. It is, and yeah. watch being very specific because it is all clockwork. It's really it's it's it is really 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 well made and very very impressive. It's not for me. Um, but I have admiration for it. I don't know if it's it it positioning itself as broadly apolitical um, makes it maybe a bit of an uninteresting war movie at points hmm. um, yeah. because it okay. it's there is a little bit of Oppenheimer doing the same here of I think 
what Nolan likes to do is just find the one perspective and focus really closely on that and right. not make a film about wider context. And everyone goes, but that's a film like, yes, but he did choose to make that film. He could have made a different film. Right. So for the films that he's making, I think Dunkirk and Oppenheimer are like, yep, yeah, that's a very good one of those that you made. You, mm-hmm. you made a good one of those. Well done. That's good. Good but job. you specifically are not a fan of it. I'm like, I don't know if you should have made that film. I don't know if you should have made it. I don't know if that's the, the perspective you should have chosen, but for the thing you set out to do, very, very good. Hmm. Well done. Okay, well, that's 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 fair enough. Yeah, and I should also, yeah, I should, I mean, I, I, I just keep saying the same thing, but it's been so long since I've seen Dunkirk now, although now I'm, I'm running out of years to say that now that these are getting newer. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, Stephen, what do you think of Tenet? It's absolute shit. It's just really quite a you movie. are you are um, wrong about that. It's, it's just it's just. I, I get that people just watch it until they like it. I get that's a thing with Tenet. No, that that's people can deal with it not being very good, so they just kept watching it. Um, that's happened to several people. Um, but yeah, it's just not very good. Um, and it's funny that people say it is. It's oh, it's funny that you. <laughs> no, I like Tenet the first time. It's I like saw it's it. coll- think... it's like it's a collective gag, and I'm like, it's it's, it's fun. I just think it's I just think it's great. Like I don't know. I I mean I I rewatched it like last week and I was like, yeah, this is just still great. It is. Yes, it is nonsense, and I just I don't care. It's just good. It's good filmmaking to me. I just, <laughs> no, I, like, I, I I I am I'm being perfectly annoying. Um, it just yeah. <laughs> and I mean I I get it. I get the. I get not liking it. Um, totally fair. But to me, I'm just like. He is trying to do something that is cool, and he has designed something that does cool things, and I'm like, yeah, I watch it, and it has great music, and it looks great, and the things that he's trying to do are cool, and it works for me, and that's all that I care about. My high-level take is that it doesn't work for all the reasons that Inception does work, and it made me realize why I like Inception so much. Hmm, okay. Inception does a really great job of putting all of its pieces on the board at the beginning, teaching you the rules, and then when it starts playing of those pieces, you're just like, oh damn, that's really, really cool. And Tenet is, what if we kept introducing pieces and we just kept telling you the rules as we went along? And it's just so unsatisfying to me, as opposed to this being like, I'm going to trust the audience, here's all the things in play, and now I'm going to apply this logic and you're going to keep up with this. And Tenet's just been like, eh, I don't care about that, I'm going to keep doing stuff. I don't know, I think for the, those exact same reasons is kind of why I like it, because it is kind of like the opposite of Inception. Mm-hmm. Like, Inception is, like, you are trying to piece it together, and then it all comes together at the end, and it kind of all falls mm-hmm. into place and it makes sense and tenant to me is like i'm constantly trying to keep up with it even though i know like even rewatching it i'm like i'm constantly trying to keep up with this even though i know it's nonsense and then it gets to the end and i'm like yeah i don't understand what's going on in any way but like i'm just <laughs> i'm just having a good time and i'm like okay whatever <laughs> like i just i don't know it does the opposite thing but for me it works for that exact reason yeah, and I've also talked before about how I think his obsession with spectacle gets in the way of good filmmakers, and it's like that that I've mentioned before that plane blowing up scene looks silly because he refuses to do any trickery. So it's like this is a bad camera angle for this because you have to that, crash the real plane. Watching it, I was like, because you had noted that in the conversation we had recently, and I was like, yeah, no, you're right. That scene does look kind of silly, but I am a I'm a spectacle guy, so I like spectacle, and yeah. I like when Christopher Nolan does a cool well, reverse building explosion well i have 2020 vision i don't need spectacles so okay okay <laughs> so steven we both saw oppenheimer mm. how did you see oppenheimer i'm curious um the screening that i could which was just a, a standard multiplex screening 
Um, I wanted to see an IMAX, but it did not fit in with, with what I wanted to do, which is a shame. I would have liked to have done it. I like seeing things in IMAX, and this feels like it would have benefited from. Um, you know, you want to see a lot of people in rooms on the biggest screen possible, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So, I mean, I briefly alluded to this earlier, and, and I know that I had told you the story just in conversation, but for the sake of the podcast, I will relay the... So I had... wasn't sure exactly how I wanted to see it, but I was like, I do like seeing Nolan movies in IMAX, normally when we go to IMAX we just go to the a closer not on it, in it, a, he likes to get in the real exactly <laughs> exactly um, normally we just Project go to like the, the closer LIMAX theatre which is just basically mm-hmm. big screen but it kind of does the job when I want to see something yeah. vaguely IMAX-y but I was like, new Christopher Nolan might as well go for it, Seattle does have a true IMAX theatre downtown, does it have that doubly? Oh, the, um, well, no, IMAX has its own, like, audio system. Uh, um, I just like yeah, so we have a, we have our true IMAX downtown at the Seattle Science Center, so I was like, okay, I'll get tickets, we'll go downtown, be a great time, has, it's been a long, long time since I had seen a film in, in true IMAX, but I was like, this is worth the trip. Um, so I got tickets <clears throat> a couple weeks in advance, and then leading up to that weekend, I am starting to realize that it's a busier weekend than I was anticipating. And in downtown Seattle, at the exact same time that we were going to see Oppenheimer, um, Taylor Swift was in town <laughs> that weekend. Uh, there were several uh, baseball games uh, the Mariners were playing. There were multiple events. There was a huge uh, concert. Capitol Hill Block Party was happening that weekend. There was also like a food event happening in Seattle that weekend. And the best thing was the main bridge to get from where we live to get downtown was closed all weekend. So <laughs> it was like this perfect storm of like it came up to the weekend and I was like, oh, it's going to be a nightmare to go and try to see this movie. But because it's not like my normal theater subscription, I can't just cancel it and do something yeah. different. Uh, so I was like, well, we had to make this happen. So had to drive way up around north and then took the train down and then got off the train and then got on the monorail and took the monorail up to the IMAX theater <laughs> stood that in line explains why, why you've convinced yourself that Oldhammer's good that makes sense <laughs> you told me earlier <laughs> that you liked it <laughs> no it is good it is good maybe <laughs> Stephen's like gaslighting it. me on the podcast now <laughs> um, I, like, I do like Oldhammer um, but yeah so sat down for uh, for that true IMAX and saw Oppenheimer and I think Oppenheimer is fantastic that's a long pause while steven yeah i really i really don't i i and i i really it's generally i find it hard to see the special in this film um of i i I see the good definitively um it's just and in your review which i did read you, you you allude to this of it is rough around the edges and i think in a way that that has got to me more it's, it's problems I think is dialogue I think the dialogue in this film is, is bad I, and Interesting. most most particularly with the unsurprisingly the female characters but all the way there's it, a real clanging script um, we pastiched that scene at the beginning because that scene that I scene is, is so that. <laughs> is so terrible of the it, you know that that Simpsons bit where it's the say the line Bart it yeah. is just it is the equivalent of that of like do the Oppenheimer thing Oppenheimer and it's just and I will not disagree with you there I did not like that scene and I was like this is just 
it just feels like yeah it does feel very like forced into it of like we gotta say the thing and i'm like is this really what we're doing god you've got manic pixie einstein just appearing like his parents from (laughs) it's what of a life yeah but it's just for no i don't really is he real i don't really like it's just such such a bizarre just inflection that it has of it just like chucks just like this kind of like wayfish just sprite of einstein to just do things every now and then um i think the structure of it's really cool i I think Mm. the narrative structure of the two threads is awesome and then in the end doesn't allow the film to be really what it should be because i'm more negative on this than most people and i think i'm more negative politically than most people because i think Mm. this is not the kind of like fracture portrayal of oppenheimer that that even you are saying that it is because so much of the, the the culmination, the moment this builds to in this film is the catharsis lies in this guy is getting screwed who's screwed over Oppenheimer. And I don't understand why those two stories are happening like that together. And I don't think they really help each other. And there is like, it, it takes it from being this textured, because all the, and I'm presaging, like pr- foreshadowing, critique my own opinion here. Okay. Because there's all these people saying like, stop saying like what, what I'm saying of, explore the context more. Because it's so much about But it's not, though, because he's got this whole extra storyline that he's not even there for. That's not even, that is ostensibly about him, but mm. exists beyond him. And I don't think those two things work together in a way that helps every movie. And then I do feel weird that there isn't stuff about what actually happened to the community on Assassin's before. I do think it's really weird there's no, like, mention of what happened to the victims of nuclear testing and without the Hiroshima Nagasaki conversation, which I do think is honestly, I think it's cowardly not to show any, and I don't want to see footage of the thing happening, whatever you need that, but I do think you should show that image of even just that famous shrine image. And again, I speak as someone who's been to Hiroshima and I thought it was like the most impactful place I'd ever been, genuinely. Yeah, I think which I that's think is why I feel that way. Very much so. I think it's a perspective that a lot of people are just don't have and probably i mean not, like not that's unrealistic necessarily but it's just it's a very specific thing that that you're going into it with that, that a lot of people are not going to and to show him watching it and him looking away is is a good scene but the the audience is not him that doesn't doesn't have to and i would be more forgiving of that if it wasn't then it turned into the strauss movie and the as i said the the cathartic build of the strauss movie is Strauss doesn't get away with it. And the thing he doesn't get away with is partly screwing over Oppenheimer and the crew. Um, and that stuff just feels strange to me. I don't think I necessarily agree that that is the, like, catharsis that it's building to. That, like... that, that Not it is the whole movie, but it does at the end. Like, that's the, the gotcha. I, just, I don't really think so. I, I think that... I don't think that it's, like, trying to say, like, oh, now you get to see... Oppenheimer, the guy that's trying to screw over Oppenheimer, he gets screwed over, and, like, I don't think that it's necessarily, like, this building catharsis of, like, these specific people are getting... I don't like, think it's direct, but I think, deserve, the, but it's like, implicit, though. It's 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 that sense of, it, it undercuts hmm. what would have been a better focused portrait of a man's psyche, and most people are saying there is a portrait of a man's psyche, I'm like, I don't think it is, because so much of the film is not that. And I wouldn't really say that it is either. I think to me, and I mean, it, it all comes down to the way that you are, are viewing it. And I think at a certain point, it kind of clicked for me that it is not as much about him specifically 
as much as it is about kind of this this wider like kind of american inevitability and i think that the the kind of the third act thing is kind of like more not as much this this catharsis of these two specific characters but kind of like what their actions kind of speak to in a wider american political sense Mm -hmm. um and and that's kind of what it was for me is like and, and and it's why i appreciated it more in the sense that like nolan is finally like actually like seems like he's actually taking these these more political swings which i do appreciate a lot of like this does feel so much more anti-american in a way like you know what i mean i i yes and no i think it it is it is it is broadly but it is still and i know people don't agree with me on this and that's absolutely fine but it is is, it's still inflected with american exceptionalism all the way all the way through it is the court that wins out in the end it's the that good old senator that jfk that jfk line is is so much of the film for me oh really because it because that is like like it's the avengers initiative of like this is one senator and he's gonna be a big deal of this jfk thing it is more of a film of this dark period of american history is behind us in that moment i don't think the rest of the film is that because i think there's a more mature film in there Hmm. but i feel that the more mature film which i think the very ending does very very well and i love Hmm. the very ending of the film i think the very ending of the film is brilliant the the ending is fantastic yeah i think yeah i really think it is and that's again though i really like all the Engineer stuff and i think it's a very good performance it's a good movie and i really like all the Oppenheimer stuff i don't like the constituent film that brings them together as, as, as strongly because i don't think it helped either half of it um okay. and again i think a lot of the dialogue is just not very good um and it's just a bit yeah it's funny when he tries to kill his teacher at the beginning that was really weird <laughs> which i mean and if you, the dialogue doesn't work for you i mean there's nothing that you can really there's no way to get around that and that's going to just like great against you for the the whole film mm. and I, I think that obviously is going to paint your opinion of something um because yeah the dialogue never really bothered me outside of like a couple of specific scenes where i was like okay that's just a little too much or too on the nose but and that kind of comes back to where it does feel a little bit more rough around the edges in a way that i ultimately appreciate because nolan is so typically hyper focused on yeah being so like immaculately crafted that i'm like i can appreciate even though yes it doesn't work ultimately and it doesn't like it doesn't make it a better film but i appreciate more that there are are things that he is trying that are not working if that makes Mm. sense um it's so i've heard good stuff said about the that it, it is that it includes things about communist communism and trade unionism, and I think that's really interesting. I, I, I would generally like to see the movie about because I really liked that scene where he tries to start the the union or is involved in, and that other um, academic has been like, "Are you dock workers?" But that that was such an interesting like. Yeah. Oh, we don't really see that perspective and that and that storyline of like um, union efforts and kind of like ingrained classism and what that means. Right. That stuff's really cool, but I just get the feeling at the end that all of the only reason that exists is to set up the trial stuff later, and that that's the film, and it, so much the film felt like pieces for that trial for a a payoff and for a reveal at the end, and I don't get the big feelings and the maturity out of it that I want to get out of it that would because I think as it's moving too much, it is so 
expository, which it's not terrible in its exposition. Um, it's it's quite efficient in its exposition, but it is always telling you something and moving and moving. Towards the beginning, there was these really cool flourishes that were more magical realist surrealist of showing these mm. footage of experiments and stuff yeah. as these kind of inflections and it just gets bored of that and then just becomes a conventional plot must happen all the time driving forwards as opposed to something that's more ruminating on something and i want the oppenheimer ruminate on if you're not going to do the film that's actually about the real collateral here which film is not about the no be the experiential ruminative thing and it's for me it's neither yeah it's interesting because i feel like a lot of these of your criticisms to me i'm just like it worked for me in the sense that yeah i i feel like maybe i just saw the intent or maybe it was just me viewing it and kind of you know having my own narrative of like you said i would want to like it i like christopher nolan and and you know that's we've talked many times about how you just how you go into something is is really all the a lot of yeah. how you how you come out of it but like the that magical realist stuff near the beginning where it does feel like it is very like much this these these visions of his like it's quite intoxicating i yeah. really love the beginning for like the first half an hour i was just like oh my god i absolutely love this gently i was sitting there being like i'm so surprised i think this is absolutely terrific mm. of the way that it was just like skipping through his life and the way it captured a way that he saw the world I think it's a better character study than it lets itself be later. Which is, I mean, I think that's that's totally reasonable. But like to me, I, I see that the loss of that as kind of like the the loss of that idealism. Like he yeah. gets so caught up in in the process of it that he it, it's like this tunnel vision where he loses the the wider mm-hmm. the wider sense and the wider scope, which is ultimately you know the. How to, how to properly phrase that? But like well, the, the, that, well that yeah, the, the, there is it, a there is a heart a heart of darkness kind of like right. feel to that, isn't there? And I, and I do like that stuff, but then that's when the narrative propulsion works against it for me. Mm. Of I feel that it's just at a certain point it's fast forward. It's there's so much build up to the bomb, the bomb, the bomb. Then it's just like and then we're done. So there's so much time is spent, and it's a really interesting point, and it's it's a really great thing to grapple with. Of we need a bomb because of the Holocaust is, is right. pretty much a thing they say directly, and they deal with that very well. I feel. I mean, obviously, I disagree with what what they go to, and I do love that scene where that that scientist says, "Why would you think I'd want to do this?" And I really like that yeah. stuff. And I wish there was a longer film about that because they spend so much time about that. And then there's one scene when someone goes, oh, the, the Nazis um, have surrendered. Just going to build this. And they go, oh, maybe we don't, maybe we do. And they just, that doesn't, that's not given as much weight as the what before it is. And yes, you can argue because Oppenheimer is so focused, but I don't think the film is aligned enough to his perspective to mm, merit that okay. defense. Okay, because I mean that's that's not that is generally I think what what I would say is that like it does move quickly past these things because not even I think specifically Oppenheimer, but I think the the larger machine that he is a part of is just like mm. is is just disinterested in these arguments and just does yeah. not care about these people who might have disagreements or because the not just Oppenheimer again, like this machine as a whole is just later focused on like, we have spent this time and money in doing this. And so now what else are we supposed to do? Are we just supposed to get rid Mm -hmm. of it? And it's like, Nope, they're just going to keep going forward no matter what. So, but I, again, I do, I totally, I I think all of those, those issues that you have with it, I think are are totally reasonable of wanting to expand further on those points. Um, 
which I think is maybe like, and that's not to argue that the film should be a certain way or anything, but like it's, it's, yeah. Cause I don't want to say like, it's good because it doesn't do these things or because it does do these things. But I think the, um, like if it's trying, if you, if you end up expanding on every point that could use expansion, then it's like, is it even possible yes. to like make this, which is then you get to why make it in the first place, which is just like, a yeah, argument would, to have, but yeah, it, it, it is a weird, I think, I think it's a flaw. It goes, but it's a Dunkirk thing for me of, I don't know why you would make this film in this way. For mm. doing it, I think you did a very good job. I feel like you've right. done a good version of this, but I don't really know why you did that. Of That's a very clever narrative structure, and it works cinematically. It works. It's really, really cool. And the intersections are really... And the way it piggybacks on each other to explain bits going back and forth, it's, it's very well put together. But I'm like, but I don't know why you did that, but it was mm. very good. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think that, that totally totally makes sense to me um and yeah it is just what are you what are you going into it with what are the expectations you yeah. have of it and and i went into it and i was like this is this is fantastic and i i found something like a thread i think too that i could find that kind of was woven through all of it that made it kind mm. of cohere for me but i it totally makes sense that if you are not finding that you can kind of appreciate it for what it is but ultimately be like this is just not i was pleasantly I surprised by it genuinely i i, I did was, think you would it, like it less so <laughs> yeah i i liked it quite a bit more um than i thought i would i was really and at parts in parts i love it there are parts of it i think are absolutely spectacular um but i also I, though i think that Kenny murphy is very very good i think there are a lot of other performances in here that are not very good um mm. <laughs> there are a lot of just a lot of fun with accents, just a lot of fun with accents, and yeah. Here's one thing I'll say: Mr. Safdie is not a good enough actor for the amount of movies that he is now in. I, I honestly, I can't disagree with you. I like Benny Safdie a lot, but yeah, I, yeah, he's not like he's not a stellar actor. He's not, you know, Daniel Day Lewis, but he shows up in everything, and it's just like I don't really. It's kind of a weird thing of like because he's not. I would imagine that outside of specific circles most people probably wouldn't recognize benny Safdie. no but it kind of plays it as like look at that it's benny Safdie," and i'm like okay i mean i like him but <laughs> it's it, it was very similar to you to um i that got to be margaret for me of being like you are fine in this role it's just that everyone else is really, really good. <laughs> so you look comparatively yeah. not as good. Um, though I don't think the whole ensemble... There's some really good performances. I think Matt Damon's very, very good. Yeah, he's um, great. Obviously, Claire Murphy is brilliant. Um, some people, when they get some material to work with, are excellent. What do you think of the Robert Downey Jr. performance? I think it's very, very good. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I like his buddy. His buddy's very, very good. His, his non-buddy buddy. Um, and it's the Gary Oldman foreman. Well, he's not, he's not his friend in the end, is he? They're not friends. They're not friends. But it's, it's you know... Are you talking good. about Alden... Iron, oh no, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, right. I was, I was so that was like the, the person that I was like, oh, I'm so pleasantly surprised to like see him in a movie again. It's, it feel felt like it had really, been a while. I but really like Alden Aaron Wright. I've only liked him and stuff. He's great, absolutely great. Oh, okay, I wasn't um, sure if you were talking about Dane DeHaan. <laughs> oh god, yeah, Dane DeHaan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's in a movie again. Wild, what a wild time. Oh, that goes back um, to Chronicle. Yeah, yeah. But then you've also got um, Gary Oldman, who is. Weird Awful. performance. Yeah, again, another one where I was like, oh, that's Gary Oldman. And I was kind of like, why? Yeah. Awful. And Kenneth Branagh, who apparently walked off Tenet and went, I'll do that again. You're like, please don't. 
Yeah, I mean, his character didn't like bother me as as in any way. Not as much as in Tenant, no. But, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Do you have any Oppenheimer-related questions? I think you do. You've got at least one. He says, getting a notes app ready on his phone. Um, so, let me read the direct text of the question. Okay, go the, for it. Because the text is worth okay. engaging in. Um, so, from Rainier, um, uh, you know, long... long Friend, friend of the pot, friend of the pot. I have a general Barbie slash Oppenheimer question. Okay. With how sprawling the cast of both of these movies are, it's true they are. Um, I'd be curious to hear your you name an actor who isn't in either of the films who you'd have liked to see in one of them. Um, I want Russell Crowe and Barbie. I want him reunited, yeah, that's great re- reunited <laughs> with Ryan Gosling. That's. It's great call. It's great call. I like that. Um, what was Russell Crowe recently? Oh, was it? in the Pope's Ma- Exorcist. Ma- no, it was Map of the Iron Fist. Oh. Was oh, that's right. It was Mr. Yeah. Knife or whatever. Knife. You can call him Jack. Um, so, in Barbie, um, so I did a bit of looking around. So, um, India Moore from the TV show Pose, there are a lot of British TV stars in this. Uh, mostly from Sex Education um, yeah, and true. Hunter Schaefer from Euphoria. Um, and I'll be honest, because it would be good to have um, some trans women actors in this film. Um, and I feel that's that's a, a thing that would really help the movie. Um, I think Shangela should be in the film. Who? Shangela, the um, drag queen um, who oh, okay. rose to fame from RuPaul's Drag Race, but is perhaps most notably to you in the... Um, oh, what was that terrible movie that everyone loved? oh boy that's always a great steven introduction to something i'm also by the yeah. way I'm, just so you know i'm standing because i got a foot cramp and i need to uh, yeah i just thought you were going for like the standing energy um a star is born um she's in a star is born oh okay really towards the beginning um and it'd be great to have it would be great to have a drag queen in the film um and on the barbies that would be awesome i do agree with um and then i would put warren Beatty slash ray fines <laughs> Okay, what? Okay. I think they'd both bring it. I think they'd both recast Will Ferrell with either of those. They'd bring it. Ooh, okay. I mean, I'd recast Will Ferrell with, like, anybody. who I don't dislike Will Ferrell. I just think, yeah, it, it yeah. felt too... For sure, it felt too Lego movie. And I was like, yeah. oh, so, give me yeah. someone else. War- Warren Beatty. Give me Warren Beatty. Okay, sure. Fans. We'll do Warren Beatty. Yeah. Okay, I think my foot's better now. We'll see how that goes. Okay. Shit. Okay. I'm sure that sounded great in the audio when I stood up. Same. Who should be in Oppenheimer? Ooh. Well, there's one specific actor that both of us would love to replace. Um, but who with? Um, well, 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 well. I have well, actually, five people. Have five people <laughs> who would be better Gary Oldman? than Gary Oldman. Okay. And I'm going to read them in, in... It might have been four in the end. Oh, dear. Oh, no, it's five. Oh no! It's 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 four. I deleted one by accident. Um, it's very interesting. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. Thanks, thanks for all there the was, info. There, there was another one that was there as a gag, and I can't remember what it was. Um, so Matt Farley as Boston Johnny. You want to have Boston Johnny playing Truman? 
specifically Fast and Johnny, okay. Yeah, Matt Fast and Johnny. Michael Myers exactly as he is in Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay. Okay. Sure. Jim Carrey. Uh-huh. Okay, yep. Why Carry Jim on. Carrey? What do you say? Why Jim Carrey? I ask. You, you want me to ask you why Jim yeah. Carrey? Why no, Jim I'm asking Carrey? you why Jim Carrey. I don't know. The Truman Show. Oh, good one. And finally, <laughs> Michael Ontkeen. I do not know who that is. You have to, you have to go to bing.com and look up Michael Ontkeen. Okay, how do I spell that? Michael. Yeah. M. I. C. The last name is Stephen. spell Michael. O N T K E A N. Okay. What? <laughs> I feel like I'm missing something here. Yeah, Michael Longking. I. What about him? D- didn't you think he'd fit? I guess. I feel like I'm missing the joke. I don't know. What was he? What was he famously in? I forget. What was he? What was his biggest role? I. I'm... Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, don't you? Can... <laughs> Why did you do this? This. <laughs> Leave it unspoken, please. Thank you very much. Um... <laughs> oh my god. Oh. I would. All of those would be better. They'd be better. Okay. I don't know if I can follow that up. Um, I, I have no idea. I, I don't. I did not. I have no notes, and I did not prepare well enough for this podcast. Um, I'm just going to pick I a have, person. I have four serious people. You also. So you have eight total people that you want to replace yeah. Gary Oldman with. No, no. These are just people that should be in the film now. These are just oh, people okay. Um, Mark Rylance, I think, would be good in Oppenheimer. Okay. I think uh, you, you could you could find John Carroll right, Lynch. Actually. I think Ooh. John Carroll Lynch. Oh, he's great. Would, you'd, as, a, as a sweaty bureaucrat somewhere, mm. um, I think Jeffrey Wright would be good in this movie. Yeah. Um, and because I want to replace Casey Affleck, yes, for obvious reasons. Obviously. I think Ed Harris. Ooh, oh, that's a great. Pick. You don't get you don't get the young part, which is a shame though. Casey Affleck's yeah. not that young anymore. You don't get that kind of like inexperienced kind of like creep, but you do get you do get Ed oh. Harris. It's a different energy, but it's still like, ooh. Obviously, I also want to replace Casey Affleck, but I don't think I can beat Ed Harris. That is, that is, he would, he would do a great job there in that role. Yeah, it would be different, but it would still make you go, ooh. Yes. Yeah, the Casey Affleck thing makes you go, ooh, for the wrong reason. (laughs) Which is just like, I'm seeing Casey Affleck, and I'm like, why is he in this? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good enough answer. I'm just going to. Oh, Ed Harris is a good end to that question. All right, Matt, um, Matt Farley as Boston Johnny. There you go. Matt Farley as Boston Johnny. Uh, so we do have. Is, what, is why are you of... so sad about the nuclear bomb? Oh boy, that uh, man is a coward. Oof! Listen to the Motor and Cast if you want more of that. I guess <laughs> <laughs> that was a good episode, though. Uh, do you have any more questions on your end? Um, I don't think so. Okay, I, don't think I, do. I do have one email, so I can I can read my or one email here from. <clears throat> returning returning emailer Murph yes who writes life in plastic death in plastic spoilers it's Murph I did the Barbenheimer double feature last Sunday yeah. Oppenheimer then Barbie which I th- no that's not I wouldn't 
now seeing them, I think I would have done the reverse of that. Before seeing them, yeah. I probably would yeah, have done Oppenheimer then yeah. Barbie, but now afterwards, I'm like, Oppenheimer first yeah. would probably be the way to go. Yeah, I agree. And I think I came away from both feeling slightly the same. I even scored them the same on Letterboxd. Both movies are about mm-hmm. the leads that car- compartmentalize pieces of themselves to avoid the mm-hmm. cognitive dissonance of existing, i.e. Oppenheimer can't be an advocate for nuclear disarmament and the father of the atomic bomb. He can't be a closet communist and dog for the U.S. government. Yeah. Barbie can't be a real person and stereotypical Barbie. Ken can't be employed at beach and love horses. Say, <laughs> <laughs> Bobby is such a great... They're also similar in that I think the pacing for both falls apart in the last act. For Oppenheimer, I don't really care if Louis Strauss gets confirmed to Ike's cabinet. Like, I enjoy RDJ going sicko mode as much as the next guy, but it feels like the movie is reaching for a reason to have him included, and it leads to a lot of last act bloat. For Barbie, it feels like they finish the initial conflict of Barbie finding the person playing with her in the first 40 minutes, and then they make a new plot with Ken and the patriarchy. Which would be a film. I actually feel that the inclusion of the mom and the daughter add little to the last act that couldn't be handled by more interesting characters. Have have Ruth's ghost or weird Barbie be the one to give the big to be a woman is to live in contradiction speech. She don't agree with that, but yeah, and I, the movie I, I moves at such a rapid pace in the beginning that when it starts to slow mm-hmm. down, I felt whiplash. The Ken musical number, however, is wholly necessary to the oh, film, so and I wouldn't good. cut a second of it. Oh, it's great. Anyway, time for you to praise some problematic faves and corporate brands. <gasps> Counting yes. neither Oppenheimer or Barbie, name your favorite biopic about a horrible person and your favorite movie that's essentially one big commercial. This well, is a question I should have prepared, prepared for, but I did not. Um, All right, well, the one big one big okay. commercial movie is, is got to be the Lego movie, obviously, um, because, mm. because that is that. Um, favorite movie about a horrible person? I guess it's got to be. Mishima. That's that was my first thought too. I think it does have to be Mishima. I don't know if I can. Well, that's not true because the Social Network is one of my favorite movies, so I would have to go with the Social Network. Oh yeah, um, true. But Mishima is also a very good answer. Um, yeah, although I wouldn't. I think Mishima fits more as a problematic fave. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, one big commercial. I don't know if I trying to think of like other commercial the 1980s transformers cartoon <laughs> that i haven't seen that's my pick as well that is um, that is a commercial to buy Rodimus yeah. prime <laughs> i mean that's all of those yeah, i'm trying to think of like corporate films that i like and i'm sure that there's a it's, good it's, answer it's, that's it's, not it's the so barbie movie. yeah that's what i'm trying to think of like if there is like an all i bet there is and it's just something that is is totally escaping me right now i mean maybe ben affleck's air the film of the year yeah but the lego movie is way better than air Mm, yeah true true, the film of the year of course that we talk about in every episode yeah Um, i'm glad you found a way to to slot that in it's just a really great movie yeah i'm really trying to think of like anything that is like a corporate tie-in that I'm a big fan of, and I, off the top of my head, and scrolling through some things briefly, I don't really know. I think the the Lego Movie might have to be my my answer for the time being. Um, it's it's so very very good, and it's so much it better is. than it than it should have ever been. And it's also like I think the the other thing that makes it easy to love the Lego Movie is like. It's not really like it feels like you can't get mad about like loving Legos, you know. Like it's such a yeah. it's such a creative and, and wonderful thing to have Legos that it's like 
I'm okay with this being a commercial for Legos. Kids should love Legos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have a I don't have a better answer. Um which is that's on me cuz I didn't prepare well enough because this has been a, a nightmare to schedule this one. Um Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, which reminds sorry, me folks. that boy, we should let get Steven get to sleep here. Mm. Um mm. So, you got got I love that. Yep. Get a, you got a recommendation, Stephen. Yeah, I do. So, as, as as you may or may not know, I've been kind of like mainlining like a particular director um, oh, recently. Never mind. I shouldn't have asked. Um, I still have the podcast no, right now. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> a, a particular filmmaker who uh-huh. some people have seen like maybe like a work by and uh-huh. really like it, but they've not really plugged the rest of his stuff. Yeah. And I've noticed quite a few people have also been watching their films at the moment, um, which I'm not going to say is entirely my influence. Um, okay. But you know, there's a, there's a lot popping off. Um, in a direction that I'm not expecting. And I'm going to say um, that's me, Derek Jarman's The Last of England. Okay. Because um, I've been trying to finish off the. Um, it was because the they're all coming off Criterion, so there's been quite a lot of people watching Derek Jarman oh, at the moment. Okay. Is quite um, a lot of people just you and Matt, or is that other people? No, well? no, there's there's a few other people that, okay. I, that I follow. Um, My apologies that, to other uh, people. Yeah, take that, other people. Um, yeah, The Last of England is absolutely exceptional it's it's kind of like the combination of like the weird experimental dramas um and maybe the more ones that you know um because he does some mm. stuff that's just free associative just like image based like dialogue free or just there is like a poem being read and you're watching some stuff in the background so the last of england is pretty much like his poetic evocation of life under thatcher um and it is just so visually astute and it means so much in, in every composition. And it's got this great Tilda Swinton turn as she plays the, like, this version of the Queen walking through the rubble of just like Britannia. Um, mm. And it's just so good at interlacing ideas together, which are such poetic and abstract ideas, but land with such concrete reality on the screen. And it's just so. And it also hits so hard because it's showing a desolate, horrible closely broken England that that feels so um so in line with at the moment of we are living living through a very similar kind of like conservative government and similar kind of like wider economic um conditions brought upon by that government so it's it is like reaching it's like shaking Derek Drummond's hand across time being like yeah I feel you it's bad isn't it gotcha. um it's, it's really really spectacular um very highly recommended um Derek Jarman, great last of England one of his absolute best movies well it wouldn't be an episode of this podcast with me recommending the most polar opposite thing I can possibly think of. Again, Stephen's recommendation. So <laughs> I will recommend. Um, and I, I, it's scrolling through. It's like it's too hard for me now to just not find something that's not martial arts because that's everything I'm watching. But mm. so, but I do have a recommendation that is not martial arts, and I'm going to recommend Kinji Fukusaku's Message from Space, which is a fantastic. Topical fantastic 1978 complete ripoff of star wars and it rules it is awesome (laughs) um i had such a great time with it it is like it starts out as like the most blatant like star wars ripoff and then takes just some wild left turns in the middle and then kind of circles back around to doing star wars again but in the most like just wonderful and endearing way and the like the production design is just genuinely fantastic and i really like awesome. it and their like their spaceship is like a cool like space pirate ship that just kind of floats through the sky and there's just like great designs it is it is a lot of fun so highly recommend 
message from space. Everyone should check awesome. that out. It is on Tubi. So there you go. There you go. Check yeah. it out. And that is my recommendation Brilliant. for the week. And let's... Do you know what else is on Tubi? A very British coup, the Mick Jackson um, TV God series. Which is absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Uh, once again, uh, go to the stacks. Mick Jackson <laughs> over at the stacks. Okay. Um, and I do want I do want to mention before we sign off, Stephen, because obviously I know what everyone listening is thinking right now, which is why didn't they gear up this episode? Oh yeah, I'll no, tell we're not. you. No. I'll tell you we're exactly no. why we did not gear up this episode. So we went over the our thoughts on the the strikes last episode. Mm. Um, and we were going to continue gearing up for Gran Turismo, and then because it's because they... it's so clearly a bit, because it's so clearly a I bit, mean, of course. Um. <laughs> um, but they recently delayed the movie and said, yeah. "Well, the stars, the actors, obviously are not allowed to promote this movie, but the audience can." And I said, "Well, both of us said, well, yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> independently, like, no, we're not doing that Absolutely so. not." Um, so yeah, that... the, the Grand Turismo hate campaign begins now. You know what? I think it looks bad. I've not really liked a Neil Blomkamp movie that much yet. Um, I'm, I'm not expecting it to be good. So, um, well, I'm sure we'll still end up talking about it whenever we both have, have seen it. I'm, somehow I'm seeing it tomorrow. I don't know how that happened because I got I got there was like an advanced screening that got posted at my oh, wow. my, my theater like the day before it got delayed so i got tickets and then it got delayed and as far as i know that screening's still on so i might end up at the theater tomorrow what if you turn up when it's forza <laughs> well then I'll, that'll be I'll what if they play it. me what if, what if they play that guy from breaking bad's need for speed instead that movie is terrible <laughs> i well, don't know go. if you saw that but need for speed no, is not. not good um, yeah. so we'll see what happens right. tomorrow when i go yeah. see uh, gran turismo but yeah. we will not be gearing up for it anymore what if it's Gran Torino? Anyway, sorry, I should stop making jokes on that podcast now. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's let Stephen get some sleep. Mm. Be back in two weeks, everybody. But for now, yeah, I am thinking of ending this podcast. Wise. So wise. Oh, okay, that makes more sense.